Mecham Auctions, the world's largest collector car auction company, returns to Indy with Dana Mecham's 37th Original Spring Classic, May 10th through the 18th at the Indiana State Fairground. 3,000 muscle cars, Corvettes, exotics, and more. Broadcast on Motor Trend TV and streaming live on Max. From avid collectors to those new to the Mecham experience, we welcome everyone. Register to bid now at Mecham.com. Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. Today is not Tony Katz. Today, I'm your guest host, Kira Davis, filling in for Tony while he's out. Don't worry, he'll be back. He's fine. But in the meantime, you are in my very capable hands. I'm very happy to be here. Always love filling in for Tony. Again, my name is Kira Davis. I'm a a writer. I'm an author of the book Drawing Lines, Why Conservatives Must Begin to Battle Fiercely in the Arena of Ideas. And my podcast is Just Listen to Yourself with Kira Davis, and that's available wherever you find your podcasts. And I do that podcast because a lot of times I hear people making their talking point arguments in public, and I think to myself, oh my gosh, did you just hear what you just said? So I think a lot of people need to examine the things that they're saying and what those things really mean. We're going to talk a little bit about that today because there is so much going on. That is the joy of the Biden administration. No shortage of stories, no shortage of horror. But here's something hopeful to start out with. It's Groundhog Day. Puxatani Phil, the famous groundhog, uh, was trotted out as usual to see whether or not most of America can look forward to another six weeks of winter. And those of you who live in colder climes, I myself am here in Southern California, so we don't necessarily need Puxatani Phil's hopefulness, but I came from the Midwest. My family moved here from Gary, Indiana, so I know I used to watch him a lot when we lived in Gary. And uh, you'll be happy to know that Puxatani Phil did not see a shadow, which means you will not get another six weeks of winter. Now, to be fair, Puxatani Phil is only right about 40% of the time. <laughs> So I don't know if you want to go with the hopeful, if you want to go with that 40%, or if you're in the glass half empty category, that 60% chance that he's going to be wrong. But if, geez, it's nice to hear some hopeful news, right? I I was thinking about that a little bit. We're going to get into some stories here, mostly about the crime waves coming across uh, our country right now. But I was thinking about why do we still do this? There is so much angst about frivolity these days. I don't know if you've noticed this, but in our culture, it's such a strange dichotomy. We're being led around by the nose by children, by people who, who have childlike thoughts and childlike views of the world. But those children also seem to hate fun. They seem to hate silly things. So we're always banning fun. I'm in California, so we ban any, anything that looks like it's going to be fun we're, we're going to ban it. You're not supposed to be having fun here. You are only supposed to be toiling day and night. Mission accomplished for the most part. <laughs> but I was, I was wondering, you know, why do we still do this tradition and hold it in such high esteem? And I do believe it's because at the base of the American psyche is this attitude of hope. 
It's actually something that President Obama tapped into very quite successfully, right? Two terms, at, for better or for worse, for the rest of us. But he ran on hope and change. And I think part of that, besides the, the very historical angle of his campaign, was this idea of hope. People, we, we still have this outlook that there are better days ahead, that there can be better days ahead. So I hope that is true. Unfortunately, right now, a lot of us are not living in better days. We are struggling. And a lot of that struggle has to do with crime waves gripping the country. I'm sure I don't have to explain to you the absolute state of degradation that California's criminal justice system is currently in. It's, we, it's absolutely insane. As you may well know, we have this measure called Prop 47 which makes it legal for anyone to walk into any retail store and steal up to $950 worth of goods with, with no charges. You will not be charged. You can, and people do it. You've seen the videos. You've watched them by now. It happens all the time. It happens so frequently, people, that it happened to our own governor. That's right. The esteemed Governor Hairgel, or excuse me, Governor Gavin Newsom, wannabe president of the United States. God help us all if that happens. I want to sidebar here. Here's a side note. Everybody who thinks that Gavin Newsom is a joke and he, he is very jokey. If you think he's a joke and you're not worried about him running for president, let me tell you as a Californian, you should be. I hear from a lot of people, particularly Republicans and conservatives, uh, that Gavin Newsom, who cares if he runs, all you got to do is put footage of San Francisco being gutted by crime and homelessness and fentanyl on a loop, boom, election over, done. But Gavin Newsom is the governor of California, and that is our daily life here, even in the cozy suburbs, even in the middle of the city, that is our daily life, and we're still voting for him. So... Just extrapolate out that out to a national vote. There's something about the man that people like to see. Don't ask me what it is because I live in his mess. But there is something that, about him that seems to capture voters who aren't who, low information voters, for lack of a better term. He is dangerous in that respect. So you should be paying attention to what he's doing and saying out there. Don't just don't only think of him as a joke. The joke's been on us for about four years now, so let's not get too happy about him. But recently, this clip should blow your mind. I'm going to play this clip from Gavin Newsom. It blew my mind when I heard it. Recently, Gavin Newsom was on a Zoom call with some California legislators talking about crime. They're always talking about crime here in the state, but no one ever wants to fix it. That Prop 47 is still the law of the land. We currently have a petition that is circulating in this state to try to repeal Prop 47. So that would require a ballot initiative, and hopefully we can get that on the ballot for this November. And uh, so pray for us, please, if that's your thing. So this is the current state of things here. So Gavin Newsom's talking about the state of crime, and he recounts a story quite incredulously, about him being in a California Target and watching someone walk out with goods, watching someone steal. 
and the the encounter that he had with the target employee who did not recognize him as the governor of California and that employee he asked the employee what was going on and that employee told told him that it was the governor's fault but what he says next i found absolutely astounding let's play that clip right now he says sir uh, you dropped this and he comes back he picks it up and keeps walking out as we're checking out the woman says oh he's just walking out he didn't pay for that i said well, why are you stopping she goes oh the governor sort of got true story on my mom's grave the governor lowered the threshold there's no there's no there's no accountability there's no i said that's just not true and she, I, she got i said we have the 10th toughest 950 dollars the 10th toughest in america she didn't even know what i was talking about by the way it's the 10th toughest in america look it up no one gives a damn about right. that. and i said it's just not true there's still stop we said well we don't stop them because of the governor and then she goes she looks at me twice and then she freaks out she calls everyone over wants to take photos i'm like no i'm not taking a photo we're having a conversation where's your manager how are you blaming the governor and it was you know 380 dollars later and i was like why am i spending 380 dollars everyone can walk the hell right out <laughs> i i'm my i've listened to that clip about 100 times today already my mind is blown by every aspect of that story a the aspect that he was actually angry with the target employee for saying we've lowered the threshold. I just told you about Prop 47. That's the law of the land. You can, you, he, he, he was very insistent that you go look it up. So if you want to, you can go look it up and you can see Prop 47 right there in black and white. It, did he say it's the toughest in the land? You don't have to. Tony has a wide audience here. You 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 span the nation. Uh, you don't have to live in California to look at California and and think, uh, no, I don't think they have the toughest crime laws in the land. So that was amazing to me. Then it was amazing that he would refuse to take pictures with everybody. But now I know now I know why, because he was being a little whiny baby about about the truth and then he has the nerve to say i can't believe i'm paying 380 dollars here at target which you know good for you governor i don't know many people in california these days who can walk into target and drop 380 dollars but hey whatever good work if you can get it i guess 380 dollars later he's looking around wondering well, how come these people get to walk out with their yeah welcome to our world governor newsom how come they get to walk out because you let them walk out. That's literally the law of the land. Our own governor witnessed it with his own eyes. And who does he blame? The target worker. He 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 later he later goes on to talk about why didn't they stop him? And he, he mentioned it a little bit briefly. Why why no one stopped him? How can you just walk out? Let me tell you about another bill here in California that just passed this past election cycle. It's Senate Bill 553. It makes it illegal for retail shop owners to intervene in a crime. That's right. That's the response that the governor's legislature, we, we have a uniparty here in California, the Democrats run California. His legislature passed that bill in response to rising crime. So retail shop owners went to Sacramento and said, we need help. We are under attack. This is unbearable it's intolerable the legislature's response was to pass a bill to make it illegal to steal things 
increase the punishment for people who walk in and steal a thousand dollars worth of merchandise? No. They passed a bill to make it illegal for a business owner to step in and protect his business. So, gee, why didn't that Target employee do something about that guy walking out? The governor, he signed the bill. So, yes, Governor Newsom, it is your fault. No, we don't have the toughest criminal system or the toughest laws about theft in the country. You absolute craven liar. And that's what shocks me the most. That a man like that can just so comfortably lie. Why? Because no one in the mainstream press is going to call him out on it. No one is going to be honest about what's going on. Because honesty requires taking a real look at what is going on and who is leading And right now, in places like California and in cities across the nation, the Democrat Party is leading. So I don't really care what your politics are. I really don't. If you just take off your partisan hat for one second and just look at the evidence that's in front of your eyes, we have a Democrat problem in the cities. There are no Republicans running things in California. It doesn't exist. So there's, you can't blame Republicans. What happens when you can't blame Republicans? You have to start blaming the taxpayers. You have to start blaming the workers. And that's exactly what has happened here in California. And that is exactly what is happening on a federal scale. That is the beast we are up against. We are up against a government, both locally and federally, that looks at you, the taxpayer, as the problem. You, the taxpayer, as the enemy. The story is not over. I've got a couple more interesting clips from other places across the nation. Don't go anywhere. I'm Kira Davis. I'm filling in for Tony Katz, and this is Tony Katz Today. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. back to Tony Katz today. I'm your guest host today, Kira Davis, author of Drawing Lines, Why Conservatives Must Begin to Battle Fiercely in the Arena of Ideas, available wherever you get your books. Don't forget to tune into my podcast. Just listen to yourself. We've been talking about the crime wave. We were just listening to Governor, California Governor Gavin Newsom, my governor, uh, talking about a shocking incident he had when he watched someone steal out of Target, and he didn't understand why the employees didn't do anything. This after he signed a bill that made it illegal for employees to intervene in crimes happening in their their shops. So this is the type of cognitive dissonance, deliberate or otherwise, that we're up against. Similar story, uh, Representative uh, Democrat Ayanna Pressley, you might know her as a member of the squad, the far-left squad, She's upset because now Walgreens, in response to a lot of this retail theft, particularly in city centers, Walgreens has announced it's also closing another location. This story comes from the New York Post. 
Uh, Ayanna Presley accused the Illinois-based company, that's Walgreens, of engaging in a life-threatening act of racial and economic discrimination over its decision to shutter a pharmacy Wednesday in Boston's Roxbury neighborhood, a predominantly minority community. Walgreens is planning to close yet another pharmacy in the Massachusetts 7th, this time on Warren Street in Roxbury, a community that is 85% Black and Latino, Presley said during a speech on the House floor on Tuesday. The 49-year-old lawmaker called the closure part of a larger trend of abandoning low-income communities. <laughs> Excuse me, I'm sorry. I should not comment on the story before I finish reading the story. <laughs> but I said, the title of my podcast is Just Listen to Yourself. And so sometimes I'm I'm reading quotes from these people and I'm thinking it. I'm like, did you hear what you just said? Okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. This is not good radio, Kira. It's just sometimes it all, the absurdity blows my mind. And I've been doing this job for 15 years. I've never seen life so absurd. Ugh, sorry, to continue. She called it the part of a larger trend of abandoning low-income community pointing to previous Walgreens store closures in her district. When a Walgreens leaves the neighborhood, they disrupt the entire community and they take with them baby formula, diapers, asthma inhalers, life-saving medications, and of course, jobs. These closures are not arbitrary and they are not innocent. They are life-threatening acts of racial and economic discrimination. Oh, so I want you to notice how she's talking. This is a Democrat this is a black Democrat, by the way. She's supposed to be representing her black constituents that she seems to care about so much. And, and she asks, she, she calls these life-threatening acts of racial and economic discrimination. Walgreens protecting their stores and employees from crime. That's economic and racial discrimination. Not the actual criminals who are breaking into Walgreens and stealing things and walking away with no consequences. This is her district. So instead of thinking about, okay, what is going on in my district that is causing all of these businesses to leave? And how can we solve that? Again, the problem is the taxpayers. The problem is the job creators. The problem is the capital. That's the problem. That's the Democrat answer to everything because they have successfully, and this is as much a problem with GOP, uh, strategies as it, as it is Democrat strategies, they have successfully pushed Republicans out of almost every city center in America. So there are no more Republicans to blame. A woman like Ayanna Presley, I'm going to bet, barely has any Republican challenger. You know, here in the state of California, Governor Newsom doesn't even campaign anymore. He doesn't have to. Uh, he probably spent about $5 on his previous gubernatorial campaign. He doesn't have to. It's an automatic win here in California for a Democrat governor. Same in districts like Ayanna Presley's. There's no one left to blame. So who do you blame if you don't have the big, bad Republicans to blame? The only other person to blame is the taxpayer because they're the only people following the law. They're the only people standing in front of you to talk to, to look at, to target. Those other people are gone. I know you heard about those four illegal immigrants who beat up a couple of cops in New York City and now are supposedly on a bus heading for California. Surprise, surprise. They'll receive a red carpet welcome here. Full benefits and they can vote in their local elections. Yeah, that's the thing here in California that you can do. 
if you're illegal. So we'll roll out the red carpet for them. There's no consequences and there's no one to blame. So again, the people that get the blame are the people that are doing the work, working the hardest. Instead of asking, I'm sure that most of the employees in these Walgreens are minorities, right? If they're in these minority districts, did she go in and ask those employees what their experience is on a daily basis? I'm sure a lot of them fear for their safety. I am absolutely sure that's exactly why Walgreens closed. That's why the USPS closed some offices in LA. It's insane. And they blame us. Don't go anywhere. We'll be back with more depressing news right here on the Tony Katz Show. I'm Kira Davis filling in for Tony Katz today. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. guest host Kira Davis. I am the host of Just Listen to Yourself with Kira Davis, available wherever you find your audio podcasts. And it's a pleasure to be with you here today. We've been talking about the recent crime wave. What else are we talking about? I've never, I I was saying before the break, I have never seen such absurd times. And absurd is a light word. But the to the extent with which almost everyone, everywhere you go, is talking about crime, it's mind-blowing. I know I keep using that term on, on today's show for, I, I just, I'm, I'm out of words. I'm a writer. That's what I do for a living. And I am out of words for the absolute absurdity that we are all currently living in right now. So before the break, I was talking about How when there's no one left to blame, who do you blame? You got to blame the taxpayers. You got to blame the law abiding citizens because Republicans have been driven out of many municipal centers. And I mentioned the case where these four illegal immigrants, uh, I guess we're calling them migrants now, illegals, beat up two cops viciously in New York City and are now apparently on a bus headed to California. And the New York governor, Kathy Hochul, had, was asked about it, and she had something really interesting to say, interesting on a couple of levels. So what I want to do is I want to play this clip, and then I want to break it down for you. It's about a minute and a half, so stick with me. Here is New York State's governor, Kathy Hochul. Get them all and send them back. You don't, you don't touch our police officers. You don't touch anybody. Thank you, everybody. I mean, we're hearing a change when it comes to immigration in general from President Biden on down to hear her talk about that. It is also directly related to the fact that these were police officers. Does that have any impact? Does that change anything? Well, it's so complicated because, you know, you're a New Yorker. You move through the city every day, as I do. We see these people. We touch these people. They're out looking for work. They're delivering our food. They're at the gas stations and the car wash uh, 
I mean, these are people who came in waves, you know, 170,000 probably to New York City. Um, but within that group, this hardworking, you know, throngs of people in search of hope and a better life, there is this one percenter, you know, criminal element that looks at a different opportunity here. These individuals, I went over their rap sheets yesterday, multiple charges, grand larceny, robbery, attempted robbery, grand larceny, grand larceny. Uh, this particular crew operated on mopeds and scooters. They were doing organized retail theft. They were doing snatches on the street, iPhones, iPads, clothing, so on and so forth. Um, one of them that they are still seeking has 10 charges on one day because he's part of a pattern that's been going on. And I'm looking at the dates that their arrest started, which is probably close to when they got here. They've only been here a couple of months. So what the detectives are telling me is they have crews here that operate in New York do all their stealing, then go to Florida to spend the money and then come back. And I'm like, well, why don't they just stay and steal in Florida? And they said, because there you go to jail. Oh. Great reporting. Keep us posted on this. this is- Clip up. That was, you originally heard Governor Kathy Hochul, and then it was the CNN anchor, Aaron Hill, talking to an analyst on the issue. And if you notice at the end there, he says, well, I asked, why don't they just stay in Florida then? And the answer was, of course, because in Florida, they'll arrest you. So here's Kavi Hochul all of a sudden, you know, sounding very centrist at the very least, saying, let's deport them. Let's get rid of them. They got to go. Why is she all of a sudden sounding like this? Well, A, we're in election year. A lot of people, a lot of politicians are now having to face the music. They're having to face what is happening in their cities because it's no, it, it is to the point where the reality of life has spilled over and it's overtaken the messaging. Democrats are great at messaging and they do a great job at, at sort of shifting the focus away from problems. And when life in America is generally okay, they can get away with it. But it's not okay right now for anyone. And it's impossible to message your way out of that. So we're seeing them responding to... <laughs> for once, their own constituents. And the other thing that's going on with Kathy Hochul, I want, I want you to notice this. It's not necessarily that she's trying to sound more Republican, but I do believe that there is a concerted effort to paint these northern states who are now getting these migrants bust in from places like Texas and Florida. They're, they want to be the victims. Right? You've heard Mayor talk about, oh, okay, we can't handle this. What are you doing? This is ridiculous. This isn't fair. You've heard Brandon Johnson, right? Johnston in uh, Chicago, the mayor of Chicago, saying the same thing. Why are you doing this to us? How can you do this? They're victims. Again, it's so it's still a blame game. That's why you get to hear Kathy Hochul talk like that. Because the narrative is, look, we're just our innocent little New Yorkers here. We're not doing anything. We're just trying to help our own people. And these horrible border states are shipping bare migrants to us. And so they get to play the victim. And again, I want to go back to what that analyst said at the end of that clip. And then I want to play to you one more clip from the D.C. prosecutor talking about crime in his district, in the District of Columbia. But you'll notice that man said at the end, why don't they steal in Florida? Because Florida arrests them. Florida prosecutes crime. So naturally, criminals, are, are not, criminals aren't hard workers, obviously. 
they're going to take the path of least resistance, which that's why I'm always, that's why I think, you know, gun laws are, are bunk. It's, it's good to be armed, not necessarily because that guarantees that you're going to kill somebody who's trying to kill you, but it's just a deterrent. It's just something that's, uh, it, it's not worth it. It's not worth, just like your locked door is a deterrent. Someone can knock down my door if they really want to. It's not that secure, but it's just a deterrent. Just makes that straight line curve a little bit. So given that statement, here is the uh, DCAG trying to address, he's at a community forum addressing the, the spike in crime in Washington, D.C., particularly among juveniles. They're, they're having a rash of car thefts. We're having the same issue here in California. We're having all the issues here. I guess you could apply that across the board. But it's to the point where local residents are very strained and very angry. So at this forum, a resident stood up to say, you know, what are you going to do about this? What are we going to do about it? I want you to listen very carefully to his response. Let's play that clip. During the discussion, residents did not hold back, voicing their frustrations. Am I blame the system? Many questioning why kids aren't being held accountable. We as a city and a community need to be much more focused on prevention and surrounding young people and their families with resources if we want to be safer in the long run. We cannot prosecute and arrest our way out of it. Really? Did, did you hear that? We cannot prosecute and arrest our way out of it. That CNN analyst just sat there and said the reason why these illegal illegal immigrant criminals, which sounds redundant, illegal immigrant criminals, the reason why they don't stay in Florida when they land in Florida and steal from Florida is because Florida prosecutes crime. So they went up to New York where, lo and behold, they don't really prosecute crime. Those four illegal migrants just left. They did what they did. They did what is probably very common in their own country. And they did that and they left and they got away with it. You can't prosecute yourself out of crime. So excuse me, Mr. DCAG, what are the residents of Washington, D.C. supposed to do while you wait for a generational solution to crime? Democrats have run Washington, D.C. Listen, I, I'm, I'm a, I would consider myself a somewhat D.C. native. My father was from Washington, D.C. I lived there for a time as a child, spent all of my vacations and breaks as a teenager there, even went to middle school for briefly in Washington, D.C. proper, not the suburbs, in D.C. I am about to turn 50 years old. Way back when I was a 13-year-old middle school student in Washington, D.C., crime was bad. Poverty was horrible. The city was a mess. We had a crackhead mayor who got reelected as a crackhead, Marion Barry. So th the problems in D.C. have been there forever. And D.C., like most cities in America, is run by Democrats. They have had exclusive control of the municipality of the District of Columbia for as long as I've been alive and maybe and probably much longer. So in all that time, they have been doing nothing 
to solve crime. Now this man has the nerve to sit in front of those residents. By the way, the majority of those residents, I, I saw that video, in that room were min minorities. So don't tell me that you're all about diversity, equity, and inclusion, and elevating minorities and providing for minorities, and then look that man in the face and tell him that you can't end crime by arresting people for committing crimes. They think, they're, they think their voters are stupid. They think you're stupid. Let me just do a little sidebar here. A lot of you, if you're hearing me for the first time, you're finding me for the first time, you might not know this about me, just listening to the sound of my voice. I am black. And I left the Democrat Party many years ago now. That's why I do what I do now. And one of the reasons I left was because I looked around the community I was living in, in Gary, Indiana, and I saw all the policies that I had always supported my whole adult. Working with those policies, I was running an after-school program there, and I was working right alongside those policies and bumping up against them every day, and I realized they don't work. And I, but Democrats own Gary, Indiana, right? They own that whole, they own Northwest Indiana, pretty much. Right. And I mean, a lot of that part of Indiana is really not much better than the south side of Chicago when it comes to politics. So these people have had exclusive control of that area. And yet everything was just as bad, if not worse. I recently went back to Gary. It's worse than when we left. It's worse. I, I couldn't have imagined it. But it's their city. They've not solved crime at all. And yet they're looking at these people saying, well, we need to provide more opportunities for kids. We need to provide more community services. Well, what have you been doing this whole time then? Why are we still voting for you? This is what, and this is always my message to black voters. I don't, I'm not going to tell you to vote Republican because I know the messaging on that is wonky and we have certain ideas about what the Republican party is. So I'm not going to tell you, oh, just cross over. It'll be fine. But what I am going to tell you, it does not behoove us to have all of our political capital in one party. Because what do they do? They do what this AG prosecutor did. Looked at that black man straight in the face and told him, oh, we can't prosecute crime. Your ideas are unsophisticated. They think we're stupid. And you know what? That's how we vote. No wonder they think we're stupid. Because no matter what they do to us, no matter what they let happen in our cities, we are still voting in lockstep for that party. So I don't care if whoever else you choose to vote for. It makes no sense to have all of our political capital in one party. It allows Democrats to do exactly what they're doing to us right now, which is lying to us and treating us like we're stupid. And that attitude is bleeding out into all of America. Democrat legislators in city centers like New York City, like Chicago, like Los Angeles, Look at us, the taxpayers, and think we are stupid. And frankly, they have every right to because we keep rewarding them for that. So unless we're going to take their toys away, we're only getting more of the same. But that's absolutely ridiculous. This is what we're up against. People who w look us straight in the eye and tell us that arresting someone for committing a crime will not stop them from committing crime. What is the solution then? Nothing but utter chaos. And we'll talk about that when we get back. I'm Kira Davis filling in for Tony Katz and you're listening to Tony Katz today.
Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Welcome back to Tony Katz. Today, we are wrapping up the first hour talking about the incessant crime wave gripping America right now. And I ended the last segment with a, a little diatribe as a, as a black voter to my fellow black voters. Uh, stop the insanity, everybody. Uh, we are living in pure chaos, and that's what we're voting for. So vote differently. Now, the, the flip side of that messaging, right, is the GOP has to give black voters something to vote we have often shaped our message to to look at the things that we need to vote against and i talked earlier on in the beginning of this episode about hope and how that is still believe it or not i i truly believe it an undercurrent of american culture hope i do you guys watch the show the office i'm a huge fan of that show and as you know it is a it is a transplant from a, a British TV show, The Office, Ricky Gervais's show. And I love the American version better, but I've watched both. And when you watch both, they're both hilarious, by the way, both well done. But the American version has such a different sense of hope about it. The pot it has it's way more positive. There is this undercurrent of hopefulness that runs under it that the British series doesn't carry. That's a very American thing. And you know what black people want? We want hope. Because traditionally in this country, we have lived hopelessly from slavery to Jim Crow to rising crime in inner cities. And now we're dealing with all kinds of political fallout from that kind of stuff. And I'm not here to talk about who gets to blame for all that at the moment. But the, the point is, is that for better or for worse, there is a sense of hopelessness that undergirds the American black community. And I do believe that the GOP can make inroads into the community by addressing that to you to to the non-black voter that might not that might seem like a very vague con concept but that's a very real thing among black voters so we need that's why we love you know despite its flaws we love martin luther king we love black history month you know we love church we love we love that the the shiny things you know we love the barack obamas and the bidens um so we respond to hope and I think a lot of people let that blind them sometimes to the realities of what's going on around us. So the GOP has to offer some kind of hope. And right now, where is the hopelessness? It's in our finances. It's in our bank accounts. It's in our school systems, right? We are literally educating hopelessness. So we need to get in there and we need to shift things around. Next hour, I'm going to talk about some things that are happening in education in Indiana. So don't go anywhere. I'm Kira Davis. I'm sitting in for Tony Katz today. And this is the Tony Katz Today Show.
Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. Welcome back, everybody, to Tony Katz Today. I am your guest host today, Kira Davis. I am the author of Drawing Lines, Why Conservatives Must Begin to Battle Fiercely in the Arena of Ideas. Follow me on Twitter at RealKiraDavis. <coughs> oh, excuse me. I'm getting a little verklempt here because we've been talking a lot about crime and the absolute state of degradation of our city centers across the country. If you want to get in on this conversation, I don't know if you've noticed stores closing in your area. We talked about Walgreens closing in Massachusetts and Ayanna Presley blaming Walgreens and not the crime or the lack of prosecution of crime. Have you noticed businesses closing in your area? Give me a call at Tony Katz today. The number is 317-239-9393. 317-239-9393. Before I get into this next story, I have a question for everybody. I asked this on Twitter. So today, my husband asked me to go to the movies tonight. And I didn't really want to go, not because I don't want to be with my husband or because I don't like the movies. I love going to the movies. But he wants to go see, you know, he wants to get these Oscar films. I I hate being depressed in a movie. So... I, I generally don't watch the Oscar nominated films. I saw a couple this year of the more popular ones. I loved Barbie. Yeah, I said it. But I, I was like, oh, OK, well, fine, I'll go with you because he wants somebody to go to the movies with. But I said, you need a friend. And he was like, for what? And I'm like, to go to the movies with you. He said, guys, don't go to the movies together. <laughs> I did not know that. Do, God, do men go to the movies together? I go with my girlfriends from time to time. Do men go to the movies together? There are a lot of people on Twitter who are saying uh, absolutely not. But if we do, we keep a seat between us. That seems to be the the standard. I don't know. Do men go to the movies together? 317-239-9393. Well, I want to talk about this story out of Indianapolis, actually, out of Indiana, excuse me, today. And if you're in the Indianapolis area, you may have heard this story covered on your in, in some of these news breaks, but it means a lot to me because I am involved in education. I'm an education activist and I ran for my school board here in Southern California last year. I lost. You may have heard me on Tony's show talking about the campaign. He invited me on. Tony's always been a great support. But one of the reasons I ran was because of this egregious sex ed curriculum that we have in California. It's insane. And some of you may have seen it exported to your own districts. Every bad idea gets exported out of California. So some places are taking steps to fight this. Indiana is one of those places. I'm actually reading this story off of the WIBC website, WIBC.com. A bill that's being considered in the Indiana State House would require all sex ed curriculum to be approved by local school boards and posted online. And if you're like me, your first reaction is, oh, I can't see the sex ed curriculum as it stands right now. In a lot of places, no, you can't. Here in California, I wish I was making this up. 
if you want to see what your teachers are talking to your kids about in school regarding sex, you have to go to the school and you have to sign in. So you show them your ID, all that you sign in and they'll, they'll let you view the, the curriculum that's, that's on paper. There's online curriculum that teachers use. That's not that you can't see, but that's probably a whole other segment, but you can view the curriculum, but you have to do it at the school, at the front desk, in front of an observer, and you're not allowed to take pictures and you're not allowed to copy any of the text. I promise you, that is how it is here. That's insane, that's the law. So Indiana is trying to hedge their bets against that. Full support of that, I'll read on. This bill would require school board approval for any materials for grades four through 12 and supporters say it will increase transparency for parents to know what their children are being taught. It, again, um, a sidebar, it amazes me that we would have to have a law for that. That just seems like a no-brainer. Moving on. <clears throat> At the moment, parents have to give permission for their kids to take sex ed. Children are not required to take the class in Indiana. Here in California, it is a requirement. Not only is, a require, is it a requirement, but LGBTQ plus all the other letters are also a specific requirement for sex ed education in this state. And here's how they get around any opt-outs. Here we don't we don't have an opt-in. We don't have a opt an automatic opt-out. Um, you're opted in unless you go in and and tell people. I. But here's how they get around that. They integrate the LGBTQ curriculum into every subject. That's a law. That, that is a recent law that was passed, uh, drafted by our Department of Education. And so it's nearly impossible because they actually don't have to notify you about any lessons they're doing in history class or literature or anything like that. That's how they get around it. So Indiana, here's Indiana saying, we don't want that here. Here's a quote from Micah Clark with the American Family Association of Indiana. He says, I think it's good for schools, parents, and school board members. It might even cause parents to address this with their child before the school does, which I think is a good thing since parents are the child's first teacher and primary influence. Critics of it say school boards already have the power to do this if they want to, and it would create more of a burden for teachers. Under its new requirements, I think many school districts who are already facing strains in terms of staff and resources will just throw up their hands and get rid of traditional sex education, said Jim May, a parent who opposes the bill and testified in front of lawmakers. Other critics said the bill is too broad and it could eliminate proper discussions to be had with the LBGTQ community. Okay, excuse the bleep out of me, but why do I have to have any discussions with the LGBT community or any community about what my children learn about sex in school. To me, I'm going to use this word again, this is absurd. I apologize for repeating that word over and over again, but again, I am running out of ways to describe this madness. Why should any parent feel that they have to consult. If you want to, Mr. Whoever, Jim May, a parent who opposes the bill, if you want to, 
uh, have these discussions about traditional sex education or or discussions with the LGBTQ community with your kid, you do that. Well, it was a big mistake. It was a big mistake to make sex ed a specific curriculum in school. We never should have done that. It, what a what a colossal mistake. We should teach health. We should teach the systems of the body. Everything else has been used as a Trojan horse to get an ideological agenda into school and in front of our kids under the noses of parents because no sane parent is okay with a stranger talking to their children about very intimate details about their sexual and romantic lives. Teach them how their bodies work because that's science, that's medicine. So we just welcomed in all of this absolute chaos. I'm going to read to you after uh, the, the break, which we'll take in a minute or two here. I'm going to read to you from this article I read on Psychology Today about chaos, because that's what I believe is, is being intentionally sown here. Utter chaos. We have brought this perverted, and I, I know of no other way to describe it. I'm really not trying to be partisan. I've seen the curriculum here in California. I was one of the parents. I was on Tony Katz's show way back then, years ago, seven years ago, when Tony Katz was starting out in radio. I was on his show fighting this sex ed curriculum in Sacramento and California, and we parents were called the most horrible things. Transphobes and homophobes, and, and we hate children, and all we were asking for was a seat at the table. All we were asking for was, hey, let us be in control of this very intimate information. No, I don't want my child watching pornography in classroom. I don't want my, my child having access to that. That's not a crazy thing. So we were fighting that all the way back then. But we still got it. And now it's just entrenched. So now we have all this chaos in schools. We're teaching John that he can be Jane. Kids are confused. Their teachers are coming to class. One day John, the next day Jane. I don't know if you had the opportunity to see that story from a few months ago. Well, almost a year now. There's a teacher in Southern California who was a woman transitioning into a man. And she detailed her top surgery, as they call it, by her double mastectomy, her journey on hormones, on her TikTok page, showing her nude body, showing her surgical scars. She had a queer library, which was which contained literally pornographic materials in her classroom. She taught English. She had that in her classroom. That was a national story. That was my school district. That's the school district I ran to represent. And I, and I lost. That's chaos. Then you have these kids coming out of school and they're sitting in front of, you know, they're blocking traffic in Los Angeles and New York because they want to protest some, something in the Middle East that they know nothing about. They think it's brown people versus white people and they know nothing about it. They sit in the middle of traffic and block good people going to work because uh, of climate change. Somehow they're going to save the world doing that. They form these crime rings. They perpetrate these crimes. They get into positions of leadership and so utter chaos there. We're educating them into chaos. And then we wonder why everything around us seems suddenly chaotic. So good on Indiana for doing this. It's, it's absolutely necessary. I'm warning you. I'm telling you as someone from California who has lived this and is currently lived this, I still have a child in public school here. It's still a nightmare. I still have to do pro deprogramming all the time. I'm warning you. 
You do not want this. So yes, put these protections in and don't let anybody tell you that it's pointless or it's going to add a burden to, to teachers. What about the burden of parents? What about the burden of our kids? You guys are burdening us. Don't let anybody tell you that. It's absolutely not true. If you think that this is right, this guy says, oh, you know, we're all, we already do this. Why do we need, then what's wrong with just solidifying that then? You're the one with the underhanded agenda. Because yeah, you do know what this is coming after. It's coming after the perverts who want to have personal secret conversations with their children about their bodies and their sexuality. So yay, Indiana. Go, Indiana. All right, let's take a break. I'm Kira Davis. I'm filling in for Tony Katz, and you are listening to Tony Katz today. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. To Tony Katz today. I'm your host, Kira Davis. Follow me on Twitter at Real Kira Davis, K I R A. Our number today, if you want to call in and get in on the conversation, is 317 239 9393. At the break, I was just reading this very uh, intense and informative headline from The Root, which is uh, a black publication that is sort of attached to the Huffington Post. And here is the headline, straight black men are the white people of black people. I can't, you can't make this stuff up. Again, that's why I do my podcast, Just Listen to Yourself, where I ask people, people say things and they think they sound smart and they haven't dug into them at all. It's just, oh, this is clever. This is going to get clicks. And by the way, that did, because it's going viral right now. Oh, this, this makes sense. That makes absolutely no sense. But we're all supposed to look at it and go, wow, yeah, what a thoughtful analysis. It's time to start saying no to these people. But I, I, I think the time for reasoned discussion is over. You cannot have reasonable discussions with insane people. Here is, I was talking before the break about education. Indiana is considering this bill that would allow school boards to set their own sex ed curriculums, which that should be how it works. Your school board is supposed to be your most locally controlled body, even in the state of California, which is why our governor is attacking the school board system as it stands. In the state of California, the, the governing body that has the most autonomy in our state, are, it's school boards. That was something I discovered when I was running. We don't use that power at all. When we try to use it, we get sued. That's what's happening in some California districts. Our AG, Rob Bonta, is suing a couple of districts who have uh, enacted parental uh, notification bills, simply notifying parents when something's going on with their kids at school. They're actually being sued by the state. So there are consequences for exercising your right to local control. So good on you, Indiana. But here's what happens when you let chaos take over. Headline from the New York Post, a new state-mandated tampon dispenser in Connecticut high school boys' bathroom ripped down within 20 minutes. That's right. You heard me right. In the state of Connecticut, 
they have mandated that boys' bathrooms contain uh, feminine hygiene products, I guess, for lack of a better term. We actually have the same rule here in California. And the day that they put a maxi pad dispenser in the boys' bathroom at our local high schools was the day that most janitors began to rebel. In fact, my daughter came home from school on that first day and said the janitors are in such a bad mood at school. They're being so mean to everyone because they spent most of their day peeling maxi pads off of walls and lockers and floors because what did high school boys do when they had these things in their restrooms? What do you think they did? They immediately acted like high school boys and started playing with them because, uh, because of course, it is absolutely ridiculous to put feminine hygiene products in a boy's bathroom. Boys don't have periods. Another absurd thing is that that is a controversial statement these days. Who does it serve? It serves no one. There weren't girl. Listen, everyone listen to me. Again, take off your partisan hat. Look at this objectively. Listen to me. Even girls who are, who are, quote, transitioning to boys, even girls who think of themselves as boys and want to be treated like boys do not want to go to the boys' bathroom in a high school. Have you ever been inside a boys' restroom or a men's restroom for that matter? They're disgusting and no female, whether she's transitioning or not, wants anything to do with a boy's bathroom. This is why double sinks are the key to a marriage. So it, it's all political. It's all ideological. It's all designed to sow more chaos, more uncertainty to erode traditional values, but also just common sense and biology. And the rules and patterns that humans have to live by. These are people who are making decisions for our children that have ab that that have nothing to do with reason, logic, biology, science, medicine, education. That's why when I read that last part of the the, the article to you, where that person was complaining about how. This bill, giving control to local school boards, could make it harder to, to interact with the LGBTQ community on sex ed issues. That's why they're upset about that. It's the issue that they care about. They don't care about the kids. I had a quick story. I, I, I talked to a woman at a school board re, uh, meeting recently who came from another district to talk about her kid being secretly transitioned at a local school. And how she was not notified. She said her daughter went through this process. She she was transitioned under her mom's nose. And um, the mom had to take it by law and because she just didn't know. And she said, if I had known, I, I would have accepted her identity, really. And, but I would have explained to her the dangers of a medical transition. I would have asked her to wait. That's all I would have asked her to do. Just wait until you're older. And then you can decide. She didn't get that choice, so now her daughter is suffering the consequences of having her body carved up from this ideology. These teachers didn't tell her, and you know what she said? This struck me. She said, here's the thing. My daughter graduated from school two years ago, and all those teachers and all those administrators who, quote, took, them under, took her under their wings 
they they know nothing about her. They dumped her the second she graduated. They didn't care anything about her. And who's here for her? Me, not them. They disappeared. I'm the parent that will be here forever. We need to start keeping that in mind. These people don't have our ch- children's forever in mind. I'm Kira Davis. You're listening to Tony Katz today. Catch you on the flip side. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Welcome back to Tony Katz today. I'm your guest host, Kira Davis. You can follow me on Twitter at real Kira Davis. Sign up for my Substack at justkiradavis.substack.com. We've got a caller. We've been talking about Indiana's uh, new law regarding sex ed curriculum and school boards. Caller Jeff, welcome to Tony Katz today. How are you doing? Fine, thank you. Ms. Davis, thank you for everything that you do, your compassion your intellect and how you're filling in for Tony is outstanding. Thank um, you so much. I really appreciate that. You're, you're fine. I'm a follower. Um, <laughs> I'm 66 years old. I remember when I was going through school, there was a thing called PTA where the teachers met with parents and you could see how your student was progressing or not, or if he was a good student or whatever. I don't know where that has gone, but I am so grateful that you're opening eyes lifting blinders off of people because maybe I'm just old and I don't understand it, but what I'm seeing now, and I have grandchildren in school now, and I'm just an old guy, and I'm afraid that the system is the way that, you know, well, well one voice isn't going to matter. Well, I, I digress. I believe that one voice can matter, and I've made a difference mm-hmm. in my community, and I want to ensure everyone else that can speak up can make the same difference. Well, let me ask you, how did you make the difference in your community, Jeff? What did you do? I go and I attend to things where the, this is just, I mean, right is wrong. The world is upside down. I mean, mm-hmm. I can't have girls using the restroom. And well, we're not going to go into all the details. But I do. I do everything in my community to try to help and, and sit in on school board meetings. And I'm wondering just how many. I wish they would do some kind of a. Some kind of just figure this out and do a, I don't know what it's called, but try to find out how many people that are on the school board right now actually have kids going to school. Mm-hmm. Back in the day, they used to. And now I don't even know that they even have any children why they change the agenda. Yeah, that's a really good question. I know on my school board, we have seven members and one of the members has children currently in school, and they, I know that they are in the public school system because that member was my opponent. And uh, but I think that's a great question. But, but Jeff, I think the other question is if you do have kids in school, how many of those kids are actually in public school? I bet that'd be a more well, interesting question. 
You're exactly right. Three of them were. Now, I was I had the luxury of going to a Christian school in Georgia as a kid when we lived there, a Stone Mountain Christian school. And I had the luxury of doing that. But, you know, a lot of people can't afford that. So now the public right. schools are just completely take God out of it. Take I'm not being anything against and trying to offend anyone. But I believe that that's where it started. You took that prayer out of school. You took everything out of the schools now that, you know, and well, look where we are. I mean, it's pretty evident. It's not an accident. That's a great observation, Jeff. Before I let you go, I have a really important question for you. Do men go to the movies with each other? My husband asked me to go to to the movies tonight, and I said, oh, you need a friend to go with. And he said, men don't go to the movies together. I guess it depends on what you're watching. I'm not going to take a lady to go see Die Hard, right? (laughs) Fair enough. Fair enough, <laughs> well, thank you, Jeff, so much for the call. God bless you out there and have a great year. Enjoy Groundhog Day. Um, yeah, Jeff is absolutely right. I love that question. I wonder how many of these people have kids in school. That's a very relevant question. Now, you don't have to have kids in public school to run for school board, but it, it does matter when you're talking about people who are looking at parents going, you're the problem. So they're, they're, they don't participate in your community as a stance, you know, your community of parents. He's, Jeff also said there used to be the things called the PTA. I think he was really referring to parent-teacher night, uh, which still happens, but you don't really get all the information there these days. I know in the part of the country that I live in, it, it always feels like you're just sort of on a conveyor belt, um, and they just really want to get you through. Your kid's just a number. They're just a button seat. But since you did bring up the PTA, Jeff, I would like to explain this to people. And this is something that I learned as well when I was running for school board. What do you think about when you hear PTA? That's the Parent Teacher Association. You think of moms holding bake sales to support the school dance or get the school baseball team to the championships or whatever. That is the old PTA. The new PTA is the group that is helping to get this weird curriculum into your schools. That new PTA has a lot of power, and it is run by progressives, not liberals, because liberals are fine. I don't have a problem with liberals. We just have political differences. But the progressive left is a whole different beast. And I think people are finding this out the hard way in our American cities, which is what the whole first hour of this show was about. But the PTA is no longer the bake sale club. The PTA has been ideologically seized. So I like to tell pairs this. If you're worried about the direction that things are going in, you you don't want to do what I did, which is run for office, and I wouldn't recommend that for everyone. You don't have a lot of time and you feel helpless. You don't know what to do. One thing you can do is join your local PTA. If you have good sense, if you don't have any good sense, stay away. We got enough idiots running them. Join your local PTA. The PTA works in tandem with the teachers' unions. So all of those things that get slipped into your classroom, those after-school clubs, we have a Satan after-school club here in my district. I'm going to talk about that. But the PTA is where all that stuff originates. They raise funds for a lot of those things. They're the ones um, uh, supporting these clubs that might come into your school that you don't really like. 
the PTA has been completely infiltrated and it is a powerful organization. One PTA in New York City raised $7 million in a single year for their school. And you know where there's money, there's power. Where there's money, there's influence. You know that. So PTA is very important and very powerful, and it has been captured by the ideology that is now vexing us all. So that's a place where you can start. Now, I have friends who have done that, and they've left because they just couldn't handle the insanity. But now is not a time of comfort, I'm afraid. Now is not the time to be comfortable. I know people like you and I, we want to live peacefully. We want to go to work earn our money, pay our bills, come home, support our families, and spend time enjoying the American dream. And as a result, we want to keep our nose out of things. Unfortunately, we do not live in an era currently, right now, where we have the luxury of doing that. Because doing that has gotten us to where we are. So I know you're tired. I know you're uncomfortable. And I know you don't like conflict. But the conflict is now on our doorstep. Rational people have been pushed to the cliff's edge. We have no more yardage behind us to give. There is not one more step backwards we can take without completely crashing to the bottom. So it's do or die time in my mind. That's why I ran for school board. I am not a person of conflict. I really don't like making people feel bad. I don't like to feel bad. I don't like arguing with people. I'm not great in debates. I'm way too polite. (laughs) and I don't like it. It does make me uncomfortable. But at some point I'm looking around, you know, I'm looking at my daughter coming home from school one day talking about how I got to use the bathroom really bad. Why didn't you use that school? Oh, no, I don't go to the bathroom at school. There's boys in there because we have these bathroom laws in California. So a whole group of teenage girls are now just holding it all day long because they're not safe at school. We don't have one more step to give. We don't have one more inch to give. So yeah, I hate to say it. I know you don't want to hear it, but now is the time when you're going to have to get uncomfortable. You're going to have to be tired. You're going to have to go to the school board meetings you don't want to go to. Last year or 2022, I ran for my school board. It was a special election. Our rep quit. I ran. And it was, it was hellish. I lost. We had a chance to flip that board. I live in a fairly conservative area, at least, you know, traditionally speaking, family-wise. But our board is completely owned by the teachers' union. And uh, so I lost. We didn't flip the board this year. In fact, a couple weeks ago, notices were sent home to some elementary school parents that the Church of Satan was starting an after-school Satan club in one of our district elementary schools. That's what it was called, the after-school Satan club. It's literally called the Satan club. Look it up. Now, I won't get into it. It's a First Amendment play. This guy, Doug Messner is his name, but he calls himself Lucian Graves because, of course, he does. This is his First Amendment Trojan horse. Is exactly how he describes it in interviews. This is a Trojan horse. I take the Satan club to schools to try to get the Christian schools out. So if you ban one religious group, you have to ban them all. And he's been quite successful with it. So they've landed here in our district. Suddenly parents are calling me because they knew I ran 
and I may consider running again. And they called me, Kira, what do we do? What can we do? And my response is I gave you the thing to do, right? I told you, you we, we need to get out there and do a full court press to win the school board. And the voters were lazy. They didn't do it. And so now if you can't do it, you have to deal with the consequences as they stand. Here's the consequence. So I went to the school board meeting along with a, a, another group of parents. The Satan clubs showed up. The Satanists showed up and talked about their lovely Satan club meeting. And uh, most parents, even liberal parents, were uncomfortable with it. Even the people that expressed support, it was iffy support. But I stood up there, and, and this is the other thing you have to understand. Our school board has now limited public comments to one minute. I do radio. I do podcasting. Uh, I'm used to that clock. I have figured out how to condense what I want to say. Most people can't do it. Regular Joes can't do it. That's deliberate, right? So I had one minute. So I went up there and I said, this is what I told them. A, I come to this meeting every week. I'm one of the only black parents standing in this room. And I have to listen to you lecture me about DEI and CRT and inclusion every week. You start out every meeting with that lecture how all the rest of us are terrible and we need to be doing more inclusive things. When I stand up here, you guys treat me like I'm the scum of the earth and I'm consistently the only black parent up here. So let me talk to you about being a black parent. 80% of black Americans identify as Christians. Uh, Two thirds of Hispanics families across the nation identify as Catholic or Christian. So in minority communities, faith is a big deal. So you want to be inclusive? Just know we ain't about this. This is not what we want. And this is how I ended my comments. I said, I ran for, to flip the school board last year, and I lost. And this year, Satan shows up. So you do the math on that one. <laughs> I'll leave you to do the math on that one. Don't go anywhere. I'm Kira Davis filling in for Tony Katz, and you are listening to Tony Katz today. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Today, I'm Kira Davis filling in for Tony on this beautiful Friday Groundhog Day. Puxatani Phil did not see a shadow. So you guys in colder climes other than California where I'm at, uh, rest assured, Puxatani Phil says you are not going to have another six weeks, uh, an extra six weeks of winter. But keep in mind, he's only right 40% of the time. So I guess how you look at that is going to depend on if you're a glass half full or half empty. All right, we've got a caller on the line. We've got Jan. Hi, Jan. Welcome to Tony Katz today. Happy Groundhog Day. Oh, hi. Thanks. You too. Uh, um, tell me what's on your mind. I just had uh, just two comments to share a good and bad story, I guess. Two different mm-hmm. topics, but kind of both about sex ed. 
at uh, back in about 2000, 2003, in that range roughly, Hamilton Southeastern School District, which was, was an outstanding school district at that time in uh, Fishers, Indiana, a nice suburb. Anyway, they had um, a policy of uh, inviting the parents to a preview night before they were going to show the stuff to the kids. This was for like mm-hmm. fifth and sixth grade, seventh and eighth grade. So you could see the program they did. And they had a really good program called CPR, which was creating positive relationships that was a little bit beyond just the facts and figures of science, but a little bit about <laughs> drawing a line, uh, right, talking about right. like, the underwear line, protecting everything under it. You know. <laughs> anyway, um, the, which was great. that they And it was a good opportunity to come in and see. It was an evening, and it was nice for the parents. It was also a good, like, little reminder warning that your, your kids are going to have this at school if you don't want them to come you could opt out but also you could um be reminded that yeah you might want to talk to them about some of what they're going to see if it's beyond what you've already right. explained to them or you want to give them your morality with right it. fair warning right but the other thing the bad part was in seventh and eighth grade they were using our students back in like i said 23 years ago to get data for the kinsey institute at IU, which was, you know, it has this really good wow. study. They were using them, making them, well, they would tell the parents you could come in and read it in the office, again, in front of the staff, and they're like lobby in front of the, you could read the survey. They were going to give all the kids the survey. Um, and if you wanted to opt your kid out, you could. Well, almost nobody could come in the middle of the day and sit there and read through and look at it. <laughs> And all yeah. of the questions, they weren't horrible or anything, but they were very suggestive and they were yes. repeated so that they would be more informed. They feel like if they ask each person something two or three times and they get a consistent answer, it was fairly true. And it wasn't like telling you bad stuff. It was more they were collecting data. But what the, they're asking these kids sort of, when you're a kid that age, it sort of normalizes those behaviors or those experiences to those kids when they get asked this question, you know, three or four times different ways yeah. and they're answering, no, I don't know what you're talking about. You know, they feel I'm like an oddball. Just stop you right, right there, Jen, because we are running out of time and I've got to go to break, but, a th- but thank you for that call, Jan. Thank you for that story. She's absolutely right. Everybody hear what she said. She said, you, you do this one thing, right? It always looks like one thing on the surface, right? And then, but then if you dig in, something else very insidious is happening. The Kinsey Institute is gathering all this. If what's the Kinsey Institute? The Kinsey Institute um, studies sexuality and it has an agenda. It's an LGBTQ agenda, right or wrong, whether you want that or not, it still has its own agenda. So it's this is not just innocent information. This is these are not just innocent questions. Our children are being used as guinea pigs. All right, don't go away. When we come back, we'll be talking to Jennifer Van Lar. Um, at Red State about RNC expenditures. I'm Kira Davis filling in for Tony Katz, and this is Tony Katz Today. Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz Today. Welcome back to Tony Katz today. I'm your guest host, Kira Davis. It's been a pleasure to be with you today. We're we're pulling into our final hour here. 
I'm not broadcasting to you from the crossroads of America, but I am broadcasting to you from America's left wing, <laughs> which could fall into the sea at any moment. We're experiencing huge rainstorms here. We're not ever prepared for. Uh, but it's been a pleasure to be with you today. We've been talking a lot about education. I just want to say really quickly before we get on to our next story, just to reiterate what our last caller said, Jam, you know, you have to understand when it comes to public education, your child really is just a number to these people. Their, their, their data, their statistics, their, their dollars from the federal government. Just like I told you that one parent stood up at our school board meeting and said, you know, the minute my daughter graduated, all these teachers and administrators who are secretly transitioning, they had nothing to do with her anymore. We've never heard from them. They don't know who she is, where she is, what she does. They immediately, she, they, she was a non-entity to them the second she graduated. Parents, you're the forever person for your child. You're the one who will be there for them forever. Not these schools, not these school boards, not these teachers, not these administrators, as well-intentioned as any of them might be. You are the one who has to deal with the fallout of, a, of an insane education system. So you feel free to stand up. All right. Talking about standing up and insanity. My next guest is Jennifer Van Lars. She's the managing editor at redstate.com. She's got a huge story. She's been on the expenditures at the RNC, particularly poking at Ronna McDaniel because spending is out of control, just like everything else in this country. And so Jennifer has uh, published a bombshell report on the issue it's going viral. Here's the headline. It's an exclusive report. The RNC spent one point one point on floral arrangements, limos, and management and media consultants. So here to talk to us today about this story is Red State Managing Editor Jennifer Van Lar. Jen, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Well, Jen, I know you've been on top of this story. Last year, you published another bombshell report on uh, Ronna McDaniels and her expenditures. And a lot of people might remember one of the the most interesting line items in there was her um, spending on Lululemon. And uh, <laughs> it's just absolutely insane. But you didn't leave the story there. You kept digging and you have found an incredible amount of spending, um, including uh, including things like $43,000 for Instacart deliveries, millions of dollars for floral arrangements or hundreds of thousands for floral arrangements. The list goes on and on. Tell us a little bit about what you've discovered, and I'm going to ask you about why we need to be paying attention. Sure. So as you mentioned last year, I did this report, and it was right before Ronna uh, McDaniel was reelected just letting people know, hey, this is where the dollars are going. And she got so skewered by it. We, any logical person thought she's going to do a better job. Well, when in the fall, when it was coming out that they were having cash issues, I thought, well, let me just look at their spending again. For sure, they can't be doing the same things. Well, they were doing the same things and even worse because they've now spending over a million dollars on this management consulting. And even though originally I wrote in my article that some of it seemed to be legitimate because it was first kind of a touchy-feely management consult executive coach person. Well, it turns out that person left her job as COO of the RNC, and then a week later started getting paid twenty grand a month to do management consulting with air quotes for the RNC. Oh, isn't that so convenient? Just, so, 
is this is E. Tina Jackson is this person you publish and you actually just published this on Twitter. Just recently you were you were on Dana Lash's show just before you came on here. You say E. Tina Jackson's last biweekly paycheck with the RNC was eight thousand five hundred and eighty four dollars. Her last biweekly paycheck. And this is a former RNC COO. Yeah. I mean, nice work if you can get it, right? <laughs> oh, and right before that, she worked for uh, the Equal Justice Works, uh, some kind of a nonprofit in uh, D.C., a liberal nonprofit. She goes directly to the top of the RNC, which she doesn't put in her LinkedIn. She just writes National Political Committee because, you know, we wouldn't want people to easily be able to tell that she went straight from her cushy job uh, as chief operating officer who oversaw a lot of these expenditures of Rana's, by the way, in that job, uh, mm-hmm. to then getting twenty grand a month to consult, I guess, maybe on how to spend more money. <laughs> oh, um, it's amazing. Well, I'll start here. Tell me what what are some of the expenditures that stood out to you to the most as agreed as egregious? Because I was reading your list, and yeah, some of it you're right. Some of it is I, okay. I I understand how. You could end up spending uh, over a hundred thousand dollars on transportation or limos or stuff like that. That stuff right. adds up, and you are dealing with dignitaries. But that's not all that was in this report. What are some of the things that stood out to you? Yeah, well, I mean, as far as the limo, even they before Rana came, people did not use limos, and she still maintains that they didn't use a single limo at all. Oh. That all of this t- cost was for charter buses, like when you go to little retreats or say they're coming out to the Reagan Library debate, you might need one of those little uh, vans to take 20 or 30 people someplace. She says the whole $309,000 in that line item in 13 months was for that. And if you break that out by month and you have anything to do with transportation, you know that that's not possible because they had only five events the whole year. And we're not talking about thousands of people. So that was egregious. Uh, the floral arrangement, it's just, why? Why are we spending our money? There's another $45,000 that I didn't count in floral arrangements that were coded as being for decorations at fundraisers, so whatever. So I didn't put it in there. Uh, so it's it's not like they were using that $70,000 for fundraising or, or something like that. Uh, what stood out to me most, like you said, the Instacart, you know, you're, you're getting – uh, a total of $60,000 at what I would call break room supplies. And that's made up of Instacart to the office, uh, this bougie coffee company spending a $500 a month subscription to send uh, carafts of cold brew, which everyone, you know, I don't have a problem with that. I just don't think that donor dollars need to be paying for it. Uh, and then Nespresso, I know you love your Nespresso. <laughs> But again, I do. Does, does, the, does the donor need to be paying for that? Well, exactly. Well, let's talk about why this is such a huge story. And then we're going to get to their response to you, which is interesting. But um, because tell us why we should we should care about this. I, I think I have my opinions, but I want to hear it from you first. Why is this a big story for Republican voters to be paying attention to? Well, yeah, because not just that, it's what we're not spending money on. So. The Mm. DNC transferred at least ten million dollars more to state parties. They spent almost twenty-four million. We did about fourteen, 
And on top of that, the DNC also sent money to state parties for data service subscriptions and that kind of thing, like for voter data. And so that's putting them way ahead on the things that actually matter with winning elections. They did for um, get out the vote texting. They the RNC spent eighty six thousand dollars. DNC spent one point seven million. Whoa! And that's you ran for office. You know exactly how huge that is. And the yes. voter file maintenance, the DNC, uh, 235000 RNC, 40000 RNC claims that the million dollars they paid to this data trust company, that that helped to maintain voter files. And then all state parties have access to it. And then all the candidates do, which, you know, is not necessarily true. And right. people who had campaign sidekick, which is the, the app that is used for that, they know that the data in there is not in any way up to date or really good oh, usable it data. It is not. So, I had to use that yeah. when I was campaigning and it, it tells you which houses to knock on it. It's got a lot of voter data in it, but it is woefully out of date and very hard to use, frankly. Right. So they're claiming that I should have counted that they spent $1,039,000 on voter file maintenance, which, okay, but anyone who uses your data knows that that is not a win. <laughs> it's not it's not a win again yes yeah, somebody who was boots on the ground no absolutely not and when i called you know my gop to say hey i need more money for texting that's really where a lot of get out the vote is texting campaigns you know well we don't have the money we don't have the money well jennifer here's my thing just as a regular old voter i'm out there looking at people like ronna mcdaniel trying to tell me oh the elites hate you this is what's going on with the elitist biden uh, administration they're not living the lives you live well you guys aren't living the lives that we live either we want to win elections and you're spending money on coffee we're not winning if we were winning that would be one thing we're not winning we're losing so i don't right. see what the payoff is here right and then their explanation of the carhartt expenses which is like three thousand dollars just showed how out of touch they are. They said, well, we had to get clothing, which they also spent thousands of dollars on custom T-shirts and that kind of thing, promotional gear. We needed to have clothing for our operations staff so the staff in our office would recognize them, like their operations staff at headquarters, like people who do tech and that kind of thing. That uh -huh. They're saying they spent this Carhartt money on them so they wouldn't have to get their clothes dirty at work. And wow. I just thought, you think that this is a good response? <laughs> like, Unbelievable. What? That's what we're up yeah, against. How do you, we're up against. not know who their coworkers are? I mean, why do they need to be identified by their different Carhartt clothing? Right. It's not Target. <laughs> You're not working at right. Target. You're working in a Beltway office. Yeah. Uh, well, let me read this response from the RNC from Emma Vaughn. She says to, this is directed at Jennifer, this story took several days of research, albeit sloppy research, to come to fruition, yet the RNC was only given 60 minutes to respond. Well, that's an improvement from the last time this dishonest and biased reporter wrote a hit piece on the RNC, Ooh, very pointed, where she didn't give us an opportunity to comment until after publication, the disregard for the truth and transparency still oozes through. For example, our team just took less than five minutes to poke through the DNC's expenses and found $3 million in consulting and over 25000 in beauty expenses. Yet in Red State's initial email to us, they claimed the DNC spent $0 on beauty expenses and only 100000 on consultants. Do better. 
What is your response to that very <laughs> pointed statement? Yeah, so she went and took all of the consulting expenses that the DNC paid in that time period and labeled them as management consulting. And the the RNC has millions of others, other dollars they spent on consulting in full. And I don't have a problem with consultants in politics per se, because if they have certain expertise that you can't afford sure. to keep on staff and things like maybe with data strategy, that kind of thing, like the really numbers you know, spreadsheet kind of stuff, then fine. But it should be on something that's going to move the needle, not just on something that's a contract you give your friend. Or when you pay former employees because that media booking consultant, she was also a former employee and her her monthly fee is now double what she was getting at the RNC. So it's a weird pipeline that they have getting their former employees. That, so then they can go say we lowered headcount to, to the uh, 168 but they don't add that they are giving these people huge contracts on the other side. It's just, it's one hand washing the other. This is the big problem in the Beltway period, right? It, you, you can send all the GOP people you want there, but the culture there is so rotten that all of this just becomes normalized. And then these people come out and say, you got to get out, you got to turn out the vote, but we're not spending the money where it needs to be spent. We have far too many country club Republicans. They don't live where we live. I, I find it particularly vexing that Emma Vaughn's response to you was, well, look at what the Democrats spend. We're not Democrats. Yeah. We're Republicans and we're losing. So why don't you start winning and then maybe you have a case to be made? Yeah, and that's the thing. If they were winning, we probably wouldn't be, or if they weren't com continually saying how they need more and more money while losing, then maybe we wouldn't be looking at this stuff. And when the response is not as, oh, well, the Democrats do this too, or the Democrats do whatever, and to call me names, and their other right. spokesperson went on Twitter last night calling me names publicly, uh, and they even, in the part of the email that I didn't publish because it was before the statement, they uh, the, the headline or the subject line was, hello, old friend. And the woman, oh. Emma, had just tracked me through a casino in Vegas to try to get wow. pictures of me. And so it's just, it's all very shady. You know, why are they so worried about me and about attacking me when they should be, you know, I, I did give them 60 to 90 minutes, but then I ended up talking to them for 24 hours before I published and being sent on wild goose chases that they were saying, well, this is really what's happening. And of course, because I'm responsible, I wanted to make sure that they were or were not correct. And once right. I realized that they're just sending me on the wild goose chases, I said, forget it. And I publish. So, yeah, they should they shouldn't need more than 90 minutes. It's their expenses that they submitted to the FEC that I'm looking at. Absolutely. Well, I'm glad people like you are out there, Jennifer, on this story, because if we want to win elections and we do, then we need to hold our own people accountable, too. So get out there and do your freaking jobs. So good on you. I am so glad people like you are out there, Jennifer, doing the hard work, the legwork. This takes a lot of time and effort. And that was a, a totally pathetic response, in my opinion. The response should be towards the voters and explaining themselves. Jennifer, tell people where they can find more about this story and more from you. Thank you. They can find the story at Red State and then on Twitter at Jen Van Lahr with two A's. All right. Well, thank you so much, Jen. I'm going to let you go. We've got to go to a break, but don't go anywhere. I'm Kira Davis filling in for Tony Katz, and this is Tony Katz Today.
Welcome back to Tony Katz Today. I'm Kira Davis filling in for Tony today. And we've been talking about a lot of frustrating news, but I do have some good news for you. You've all narrowly avoided death today. That's right. An asteroid has passed close to Earth today, but it didn't hit us. So congratulations, everyone. We did it. We survived. I don't know if you're like me. Sometimes, some days you think maybe the sweet meteor of death would be a small mercy. But today is not that day. Let me read this report. A rock roughly the size of a skyscraper is passing by Earth today. But it will be many times more distant than the moon. Now, in terms of you know universal distance, that's pretty close. But to read this report, an asteroid roughly the size of a skyscraper will pass by on Friday. NASA's Center for Near-Earth Object Studies, how cool would it be to work at a place like that? Near-Earth Object Studies estimates that the asteroid could be as much as 1,575 feet wide, and it could make it close to the size of the Empire State Building in New York City. But even at its closest, it's expected to pass by Earth at a distance of more than seven times that between the Earth and the moon. Asteroid 2008-OS7 was first discovered in 2008. Imagine that. Its orbit will bring it close to Earth again in 2032. Okay, so it's coming back. We got another shot at Sweet Meteor of Death. But it'll be even more distant than it is now. The closest it will get is roughly 45 million miles from Earth, which is half the distance between Earth and the sun. So there you have it. You've narrowly avoided death today if you're looking for some good news and don't we all need some good news? I was, we were talking previously to Jennifer Van Lahr, managing editor at Red State, about the RNC's expenditures and why it's a problem. I understand the lifestyle of, of corporate life. I get it. My husband's in corporate America and political America isn't that much different. I understand. People throw around a lot of money. They spend a lot of things. And I think in a time when you're winning, that's fine. But don't come to the Republican voters and tell us you don't have enough money to do X, Y, Z. You don't have enough money to fight the unions, which is what we really need to be focusing on, teachers unions especially. You don't have an, enough money for these texting campaigns. You don't have enough money for these things, outreach that voters are really asking for. And then show me a report that says you gave your former COO $20,000 a month to, quote, consult. We're not winning. So they're clearly not doing their jobs. So yeah, this expenditure report matters. And that response to Jennifer Van Lahr's report shouldn't have been, oh, well, you didn't look at Democrats' numbers. The response should have been, we're going to look more closely at these numbers because we're committed to winning. And that's what we want to do for America. That's the response that should have been given. And instead, we're getting the same old beltway garbage. So we're not just fighting this cultural slide. We're fighting our own party. It's a battle on many fronts, people. Get your boots on. we got a lot of work to do. All right, let's take a break. Don't go anywhere, though. we got a lot more to talk about. I'm Kira Davis filling in for Tony Katz, and you're listening to Tony Katz Today. Welcome back, everybody, to Tony Katz today, our last half hour on this Groundhog Day. 
I, it's been a pleasure to be with you all today. If you like what you heard, you want to hear more from me, best thing to do is go look up my podcast. Just listen to yourself with Kira Davis. And it's actually a podcast dedicated to critical thinking. It's called Just Listen to Yourself because I often hear people's talking points. And I, I think, are you even hearing what you're saying right now? A lot of what people say is just, it's a clip version, right, of a thought. It's something they saw on TikTok or social media, and it looks clever, and they don't dig into it at all. So I think we need to dig into our ideas. So it's a lot of me just talking to myself while I'm talking to you, digging through my own ideas, asking myself questions, reasoning through issues, and coming to a conclusion. might not be the conclusion that you make, but my point is to help you clarify your own conclusions, even if it is, yeah, no, I, I, I've heard everything Kira had to say, and I actually disagree with it. I at least want you to be able to take that stand, to know what you believe. I believe political discourse gets a little less heated when everyone understands what it is they're saying and what they believe, because then it becomes an interesting political discourse instead of just your, your whole personal identity wrapped up in this. One of the episodes that I did over the last couple of weeks, I think you'll find interesting. I talked about Gen Z and work. You may have seen a lot of videos floating around. It's sort of a trend now. Gen Zers getting on TikTok, complaining about the work week, 40-hour work weeks, the cost of living, what has Gen X done to us, yada, yada, yada. I break down one of those videos, and I, I think there's a larger conversation to be had here because we hear a lot of whining, but I think there's more to this story. So another one of those videos has popped up. It's a young lady complaining about a 40-hour work week and the cost of living, and she's asking some questions. And I, I want to talk about it because I have some answers for her, but I have some answers for all of us. So I'm going to play this clip. It's a rather long clip. So probably what I'll do is, is I'll, I'll have our producer play it, and then I'll just give him a verbal cue when, when I'm done with it. We don't need to listen to the whole thing to understand what she was saying. But here is a young lady. She's a young blonde lady you know woman maybe 18 to 20 and and she's visibly upset and she's talking about work go ahead and play that clip why is it that i have to work 40 hours a week just so i can have a place to live 40 hours a week makes me two thousand dollars a month and my rent is 1660 so I work 40 hours a week so I can have a two-bedroom apartment and an extra $300 a month. Like, it doesn't cover my phone, internet, food, you know? So not only do I not have any extra money, but just working makes me so exhausted that I don't have time either. Like, I get off work at 5.30 come home. I'm just so tired. All right. You can stop that clip there. I want to make a comment first before I start this. Uh, some of these videos are genuine and some of them are just click trolls. So I'm not, I have no idea which this is, but it doesn't matter because these videos are going around and there are some genuine sentiments about this. So producer Kyle and I were talking at the break, uh, Carl, excuse me. And he said, Oh, the first thing I noticed about that video was that she was paying $1,600 to live in an apartment uh, by herself. Why doesn't she have any roommates? This is something that I address on my podcast. The episode is called Gen Z and Work. And again, the podcast is just listen to yourself. I break it down at length. 
that was one of the first things that stood out to me too. And the other thing was that 40 hour work week and I have to work all these hours just to barely cover the cost. I can't pay everything with that 40 hour work week. And a lot of Gen Zers are saying, look, this isn't fair. You're telling us to go out there and support ourselves, but you've driven this economy into this hyper inflation state where I can't afford anything. A, I, I think that's a fair assessment. We have done some real damage to this economy. Well, not me, because I don't vote for Democrats. And they destroy the economy. But a lot of you people out there have. So there's, there's, there are valuable lessons to be taught to these young people in the midst of their complaining. And we shouldn't totally dismiss it. I know it does look whiny and childish. But we should hear what they're saying. And we should use it as an opportunity to explain how taxes work, how inflation works, how these policies you're supporting they're making your life more expensive. Rent control makes your life more expensive. I don't know where she lives, but I live in, in Southern California. $1,600 for a two-bedroom apartment? First of all, baby girl, are you living alone? You don't need a two-bedroom apartment. If you're living alone and you're 20 years old, you get a studio. It, it sounds like that'll be a lot cheaper than where you live. But I just looked at a, at a, at a advertisement for a room in someone's house here in my suburb of California, rent the room and you get your own private bathroom in someone's home for $1,500 a month. So A, $1,600 is wow. I'm like, wow, that's a steal. But I live in California where the only thing you can do is steal <laughs> here. Uh, baby girl, when I was 21 years old, I lived on the north side of Chicago, right next to the lake, about two blocks from the lake. I lived in a basement apartment, two bedroom. Uh, I'm embarrassed to tell you this, but this would have been right around 97, 98. <laughs> so in the 90s. But you're absolutely right that your life costs more now with inflation and just with the, the cost of rising cost of living period than my life did then. But I lived in a two-bedroom basement apartment on the north side of Chicago, and I had six roommates. Seven people lived in this two-bedroom apartment. So uh, young folks, if you're listening to the sound of my voice and you're thinking that it's not fair that we've destroyed the economy for you and you can't afford to go out there and live, what kind of life are you asking for? I don't, I don't know anyone who moved out of college and into their own space, even back then, even in the 40s, 50s. In fact, there's no time in American history where people lived alone. This concept of living alone is a fairly new concept. Most people stayed, lived communally. Their families stayed in the same place. Their generations lived together. Most people had more than one job. Most people worked more than 40 hours a week. Before we even had such a concept as a 40-hour work week, people were working way more than that. Most people who are successful work at least double 40 hours a week. The richest among us, the wealthiest among us, the people that you look at, the silver, look at as the silver spoon people, sure, some of them are trust fund babies, but most of them just work all the time. You might see them flying around and see the pictures on the red carpet, but they work all day, every day. Also, again, Wherever you live, I don't care if you live in New York City, let's say you live in Manhattan, one of the most expensive places on earth to live in. Let's say you live in Manhattan today in 2024, 
you're a young person and you need an apartment, take the, take uh, an average apartment in Manhattan, which is still going to be pretty expensive. Could you afford that apartment if you had six roommates? If seven people were living in that apartment, could you afford it? I don't care where you live. Ask yourself that question. The answer is almost always going to be yes. So you, we, Gen Z needs to reframe here, and we need to help them reframe here. I do believe this is on Gen X. I'm Gen X because we are the leave, leave us alone generation. So we're kind of like, mind your own business. Just take care of yourself. Do it. And because of that, we have really have left them alone to figure things out. We haven't told them about our lives and what we did and how we came up because we're just, we don't want to be whiners. We're head down people, but it's done a huge disservice to the next generation who are now coming up with bad ideas about the lives they're supposed to be living. And that is another problem that we have here. These kids are leaving school with these useless degrees, hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt, and they think they're supposed to be in a five-bedroom home in the suburbs right away. We've not explained to them how maybe some of us got to these homes or maybe some of us got to a comfortable place. We have to explain that to them. I had seven people in a two-bedroom apartment. We had one bathroom. How do we make it work? I mean, now that I'm almost 50, I'm looking back. I'm like, I don't know how I could do that. I wouldn't do it again. <laughs> I, I, I thought I was about to lose my mind being stuck in this house with four people during the pandemic. I don't know if I could do it again, but guess what? At 21, I did it because that's what you do to get on, right? You got to do what you got to do. Here's the other thing I want to address about Gen Z and work, how we're doing them a disservice. We're telling them that the only place to be is where they are right now. And that is their only option. I know there are a lot of folks out there who say, you know, it's impossible to buy a home now. You can't, the, the costs are impossible. Home ownership is dipping. It is, it is impossible to buy a home. If you want to buy a home in Los Angeles, if you want to buy a home in New York City or many parts of the state period, yeah, it, that's, it's tough. That is hard. It's really expensive there. But do you know that homes, well, I think many of you in this listening audience would know, but homes in the middle part of the country, in smaller areas, parts of rural Texas, Montana, uh, certain parts of New York, smaller areas that are not in city centers, you are still able to buy affordable homes. My I'm not suggesting you do this, but my father bought a house a few years ago in Baltimore as an investment. My father's from the Washington, D.C. area. He recently passed away, unfortunately. But uh, he bought a house in Baltimore that it's it's a three bedroom home it's worth $160,000 now do you want to live in Baltimore <laughs> probably not I don't think towards the end of his life my dad even wanted to live there but there is affordable housing the problem is it's not where you want it to be everyone thinks that they're supposed to have what they want when they want it I lived in Gary Indiana for over a decade I even raised a family there is it a great place? Uh, no, there's plenty of great people there. There's a lot of great people there. Unfortunately, their voices are drowned out by <laughs> all of the crappy people there and the crappy politicians. But it wasn't the best place on earth, but it was a place that allowed me to be a stay-at-home mother. Because my husband and I lived there, and he was from there, so he had some roots. But because we lived there, 
we were able to survive on one income. We will, we were able to purchase not one, but two homes again, very cheap homes because they were in the middle of the hood. But that was a sacrifice we made to be homeowners and to be people who were able to stay home with our children. And then we moved on. Now we live in Southern California where we're more poor than ever, <laughs> but live more luxuriously than ever. But I, I live in an area where my kids go to a safe, somewhat safe school, unless you count the ridiculous curriculum they're teaching. It's lower crime. It's, it's significantly safer than Gary, a step up. But that took time. That was a decades-long evolution. And that's what Gen Z doesn't see because everything's instantaneous from them for them. Everything's right now, instant gratification. If I want information, I hit this button and I get it. If I want a song, I press this button and I get it. If I want to watch a show, I don't have to wait for Thursday night must-see TV on NBC. I could just queue it up on my whatever streaming service I'm subscribed to. If I want to hear my favorite celebrity talk about something, I go to YouTube. If I want to learn something, I go to YouTube. Everything is right now. That is what we're facing. In fact, I could tie that back to the RNC story and their spending. That the, 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 the Republican National Committee and Republicans in general are only strategizing for right now. They want everything right now. And they don't want to make investments in the future. And the future is everything. It's what we're talking about in every aspect of what is wrong with our society right now, the future of safety, the future of crime, but most importantly, the future of our children and what we're educating them, what kind of future we're educating them to go after. We have work to do with Gen Z. I don't think it's fair to just leave them floundering. We need to be out there explaining these concepts to them, explaining how they make their own lives more expensive by the way they vote, by the things that they ask for, and by the information that they ignore. All right, well, we are quickly pulling into the end of this show. I've got one more segment, so don't go anywhere. I'm Kira Davis, filling in for Tony Katz, and you're listening to Tony Katz Today. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. minutes of Tony Katz today. I hope you got something useful out of today. I know I did. I had a great time. Love talking to Jennifer Van Lar from Red State. Go to redstate.com to find that story. It's right on the front page if you go to Red State. And you take a look at those expenditures yourself. And you tell me if they make you comfortable or uncomfortable. And, and I want you to look at those expenditures in the context of are we winning where we need to be winning? And Jennifer pointed it out. Jennifer was one of my biggest supporters. She lives here in Southern California as well when I was running for school board. And uh, at the time, I was working for Red State. And very graciously, Red State set me loose. They said, look, we're going to release you from a lot of your responsibilities while you go do this because they understood the task. 
And they understood it was important because the people there want change. They don't just report for clicks, although clicks pay. They want change. And that's what we want to, that's why this report is so important to look at. We want change. And the people in charge have no incentive to change anything. Their lives continue on as normal while the rest of us flounder around. Nothing changes for Ronna McDaniel if, you know, if we don't say anything. Or nothing changes for her if the economy is good or the economy is bad. A, she's a wealthy and connected woman. But B, she has this job that keeps her wealthy and keeps her connected. So that is what I experienced when I ran for school board here in Southern Orange County. I wasn't just running against my Democrat opponent. I was actually running against the gatekeepers in my own party. I had to get through them first before I could get to where I needed to be to make change. We have to root all this out. It's a lot of work. I get it. It's a lot of work, a lot to be done, but it's got to be done sometimes. And it's now or never. All right. It's time to go. If you want to hear more from me, you go check out my podcast. You will not be disappointed. There's an episode for everything, I swear. <laughs> so go look up Just Listen to Yourself with Kira Davis. Subscribe to that. Make sure you subscribe. That's that's immensely helpful. Five-star ratings, if you wouldn't mind. Sign up for my Substack at justkiradavis.substack.com. Follow me on Twitter at RealKiraDavis. And go have yourself a good weekend. All these problems will be here on Monday. Until we meet again, my friends. Peace out.